Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so you can better develop products customers love. With this journey in mind, I am launching something brand new. It's called the Product Mastery Now Community. If you find value in this podcast, then this community is for you as I've designed it for listeners and with listeners in mind to get more value on this journey towards product mastery. It will provide you tools and resources to help accelerate your journey, a peer learning forum to interact with other product professionals, and many other advantages as well. This offer does end soon. Go to productmasterynow.com community to learn how the community works, what it provides you, and also to apply to join the community. Again, that URL to find out more is productmasterynow.com community. And today we're talking about the role of chief product officer, the CPO. Some organizations will call this the product VP, and some organizations would, would, you know, some individuals might say that these roles are a little bit different too. We're going to talk about that CPO role specifically and the skills and capabilities that help you move into such a role if you don't have that role already. To help us with that is a CPO. That is Rick Kelly. He's a CPO at FuelCycle. They've developed an insights platform to facilitate collaboration between market researchers, UX professionals, marketing managers, and us product leaders. So we'll hear a little bit more about that too, no doubt. As always, we do take detailed written notes for you. We also prepare a one-page action guide to help you put into action immediately what we do talk about. And you'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 404. Rick, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Chad. I'm excited to be here today. I am interested in hearing more about the CPO role. I've talked to quite a few CPOs, and there's certainly different perspectives, right? And, and I'm sure this depends on the organization. I'm sure it depends on the path. And I really want to hear what your perspective is. First, you know, all of us come to product work from different paths, and some of them are really unique. How did you find yourself doing product work? Yeah, like a lot of people that are in product, it was just pure happenstance and kind of falling into it. I mean, uh, by background, I did I did a couple of degrees in political science, mm-hmm. and at some point, uh, you know, I was uh, I was teaching university a few years ago, teaching statistics in the political science department, and I realized that I really wanted to be in technology. That's really where I felt like the the world was moving toward, and that's where you know big things were happening. And so I just really worked hard to learn product, to learn technology strategy. And to teach myself some like product development skills and understand technology frameworks and ended up, you know, my first real job in technology was my college roommate had started a business, you know, went out and raised a bunch of money. It was a text to doctor type thing. And he asked me if I wanted to move to India to do partnerships with hospital chains and things like that in India. And so I moved to India and that's how I kind of broke into technology and migrated away from this political science background, which is very academic based and ended up getting into getting into tech. So that was the, the first tech job. And then after that, it's just been a kind of sequence of customer success type role and then moving into my current organization where I've developed a lot more of the, those product capabilities that I have today. So I really do like coming to a product from that customer sort of background, right? Having that appreciation for the customer and their problem and how we can create more value for them. My path was more on the engineering side and kind of discovering the customer along the way there. I'm, I'm curious, though, when you said, you know, you were in poli-sci and somewhere along the line, you, you grew this appreciation for tech. What happened? You know, were you, you looking around and watching tech companies or stocks or, or you had a friend or, or what, what was it? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think there's a, there's a couple things. It's number one is, you know, I think the my interest in political science is really around you know, the, the nexus of power in the world. And for a long time, for you know, centuries, 
is that it's always been around political organizations and governments and the way they interact with each other and with the constituents. And at some point, you know, you started to realize about, you know, 15, 20 years ago that the, the internet had a huge impact on society. And in fact, you know, technology probably had, was going to have as much or more impact on the world than any government or any law passed. So what would happen? And so there's kind of this interest in studying how power kind of moves around the world. Mm-hmm. But then a very practical answer is post post political science degree. My my first job, I really messed up a project for a client, and the best way for me to to learn to to fix the project was for me to learn SQL and mm-hmm. to you know start to you know run my own queries and uh, to start writing writing little scripts that helped me automate a lot of the tasks that we did. And uh, so combine you know that combined with uh, my interest in you know kind of society in general. Uh, led me to be like, hey, technology feels like the future, and this is a place where I want to invest my time in. Yeah, right. So, you know, technologies that you had to know about to, you know, just satisfy part of the job. And if you're re- managing data, you know, SQL is a useful thing if you're putting reports together for customers. Oh, yeah. I, I spent a lot of time on the early days of Stack Overflow, you know, copying scripts and modifying to, to match our you know, database to, to, to try and find information that I needed for clients. Yep, that's how, how you figure some of those things out, right? Yeah. Find recipes that work and copy them. Okay. Very exactly. good. Yeah. Just curious about that, that, that path into product work and, you know, wanting to create more value for customers. So now you've been in the CPO role for nearly three years there at FuelCycle. Through kind of that arc of your career so far, what you found to be really helpful to prepare you for that CPO role that you kind of rely on now, what may have opened the doors a little bit, you know, for that role in your career. As others are listening, they might think, oh, you know, I can take away some insights here from your experience that helped them as well. And just to kind of, you know, maybe put things in buckets for a conversation, I thought maybe we start with the technical skills, right? We can talk about maybe management skills or maybe some other soft skills too, but what were the, the technical skills that you found helpful moving into that CPO role and, and that you use, you know, still find helpful today? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And, you know, there's, there's lots of different flavors of product management where you have people who lean kind of market oriented versus, you know, you know, technology oriented. And ultimately product is the funnest role you can have in an organization because it sits at the nexus of all, you know, pretty much everything. So you have to know about the finance, you have to understand technology, you have to understand customers. And on the technical front, you know, for, for me, it's been learned by hook or by crook, you know, so there's something comes up in a meeting and you don't understand like the n- newest database structure or, you know, what's available on the market. You really just have to dig in deep and, and learn. Now, my my background, as I mentioned before, was really more customer facing, uh-huh. you know, kind of this customer success role. And for me, that means that a lot of things just I had to be self-taught and had to learn and to be able to communicate in a way that, you know, developers would align with and then also uh, understand and, and respect as well. Uh-huh. And so for me, it's been a process of learning, you know, like I'm not, uh, I'm not a developer today. I would never claim to be, but I also be able to, to speak the language of development and to understand the trade-offs between, you know, different frameworks and different database structures. And all those things is a really critical role for any product leader. Uh-huh. So to be fluent, conversant, I think is a requirement for product leadership. And, um, you know, the, the but the way I think about it is kind of like learning another language, you know, or learning math or learning statistics to calculus or whatever that might be. Sometimes you just have to be persistent, to be patient, and to uh, spend a lot of time on YouTube listening to, you know, listening to the, the latest talks on on technology. Yeah, it's amazing how much we can pick up if we put the time in on YouTube to figure things out. <laughs> you said something there that I want to make sure I'm, I'm interpreting correctly, which is needing the respect of developers, right? So 
it's not, you know, you relied on your customer experience, which we'll dig into two more here in a moment, but the technology knowledge that you need as a CPO isn't because you're, you're implementing technology, you're leading the development team to do that. But tell us more about what you mean about having the respect of the developers. At some point, you need to have collaboration and respect with all, with all kind of constituent departments. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's developers or it's your finance team, you know, they need to be able to know that you, that you are at least willing to listen and to be conversant in their field. So, I mean, maybe to abstract it away just from developers, you know, my, my finance team wants to know that I understand like gap accounting rules so that we're putting together a new pricing plan that I'm make sure that I'm tracking and listening and that I understand their needs. And the same way with developers, right? Is that we're putting together a plan to deliver value to customers. They want to know that I'm A, going to listen, that they're going to be able to provide like detailed information on trade-offs between you know, different frameworks and different approaches that they plan to implement and that I'm going to be able to, to trust them and that they're going to respect the, you know, the decisions that we make together. Yeah. Because ultimately, ultimately, I think product management is really around value delivery and trying to find like efficient value delivery. And being able to maintain collaboration, you know, across teams requires that you're at least conversant in in another, you know, another team member's field. I appreciate you expanding that to other audiences, right? The other functions in the organization. A lot of this, when it comes to building trust and working well with others, is being able to speak their language in some sense, right? R- recognizing their needs, what's important to them, and being able to relate to that. So you have to know enough to be be competent in that part in some respect, to have that respect, to have that, that trust going on. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. Very good. Anything else on the technical skill side that you want to share? You know, I, I think that's the main thing is that there, it's always evolving and always changing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, having, having sessions where you ask somebody to explain something, you know, clearly is, is important because I don't know everything. I, I wouldn't expect myself or any other product manager to be perfectly conversant and, you know, perfectly knowledge about all things technical. Right. And so being able to ask honest questions, um, I think is really important. And today I try to do that today. You know, it's like still there's in some cases, like there's going to be junior developers that know a lot more than I do about the latest front end framework and asking them to explain that to me ultimately engenders trust, I think. I think that's a very good point. I was just thinking the same thing that when we're vulnerable as leaders like that, I think that really does generate trust because none of us know everything by any means. And it, it takes a team of experiences here to get there. Yeah. I have something special to tell you about. After talking with hundreds of product managers about their journey and how they grew in their careers, three levers consistently stand out. Frameworks and tools, structured learning, and peer learning. To bring all three levers together, the Product Mastery Now community is opening soon for the very first time. The community will help you accelerate your journey and career. This is something that I've always wanted to help others with and something I wish I had as myself when I was growing in my career. You listen to this podcast because you find value in it and the community will amplify that value for you. Further, joining during the Founders Launch guarantees you the lowest price the community will ever be available for. You'll get training in frameworks and tools, live Q&A with podcast guests, advice from other community members, and more. Learn more about the community and apply to be a member at productmasterynow.com slash community. This is the Founders Launch. Check it out now. Coming from that customer background, let's focus on that a little bit too. You know, how, how has, did your customer interaction skills, I'll say, you know, help you along this journey towards CPO? 
Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think I stated earlier that ultimately the role of a, of a product leader is a value delivery, uh-huh. right? And I love, I love the phrase, you know, that around product management is just to build things that people will pay for. And ultimately that's the goal. And so understanding what people are willing to pay for, what organizations, individuals, what they're willing to pay for is, is an absolute requirement to building a successful product. And so I think understanding customer needs, knowing how to speak to customers, how to you know elicit their needs and really bring those out and identify what's going to be truly valuable to them is is an absolute requirement for anybody that's in a customer success role, anybody that's in a product management role. You know, my my background around like account management, uh, customer success overall means that uh, you know I I really had to map our platform's value to customer needs and kind of bridge that gap between the two. And now it's just like it's the product is scaled customer success in many ways where you're, you're affecting, you know, many customers rather than just a handful or, or your own portfolio of clients that you manage. Give, give us some flavor of what that experience was like as a, a, an account person. What kinds of customer interactions were you having? And if you could draw out, you know, maybe, maybe like even an example that carries forward into that CPO role. Yeah. I mean, I think. You know, many cases, customer success team members are going to be compensated and evaluated based on their ability to renew accounts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something that uh, I think product leaders should care a lot about is renewals and upsells and cross selling and all those things has to be like very revenue focused. And customer success is all about saying, here's a platform or here's my tool or solution as it is today. Here's a client objectives. And they're not always perfectly overlapped. And how do you find ways to deliver value, to deliver stickiness, to move across an organization? And this is especially true in like enterprise, you know, stage customer success where you're working with large organizations is how do you map value and continue to drive value throughout, uh, throughout a company? And, you know, ultimately that comes back to product management because, you know, product management is really about making the right trade offs to deliver valuable growth to the business, then you have to, at least in my opinion, you have to be able to understand customer needs on a much broader scale. And one of the things I, you know, I, I try to emphasize with our team is that understanding customer needs is like really, it's like the, the biggest, the biggest rate limiter to growth is how well you understand your customer. Mm-hmm. And if you understand your customer well, then you're going to be able to articulate, you know, a value proposition and translate that into software. But you have to know a customer in order to, in order to be successful. Yep, absolutely, because that's what we're doing, right? Yep. There have been organizations. I'm sure there still are. This is probably maybe arguably more common in the phone app world, right? Where groups of developers get together, they, they throw something up against the wall, so to speak, and just see if anyone cares, right? And then they move on to the next thing. And you know, if they get one in ten right, you know, may, maybe that works well for the organization. Yeah. But I think modern product management, you know, it is all about understanding the customer's unmet problems and figuring out how we, we can deliver value that they care about that they're willing to pay the organization for. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, and this is this is so true because the honest truth, Chad, is that software development is going to become more expensive over the next like few years. And ultimately that that might change, but there's a huge amount of spending that's going into product management and going into engineering. And there's frankly, there's not enough resources or developers to scale all the spending that wants to be done. Mm-hmm. I think there's some like I, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but some like IDC or Gartner report estimates somewhere around three trillion dollars of digital transformation spending, and then happen in the next like three to four years. Now that uh, that's a lot of money, 
and there's not enough developers to keep up with that demand. And so ultimately, like you have to be very pragmatic about how you invest engineering resources because if it's not delivering value and not delivering revenue to an organization, it's, it's, it's going to be wasting money. Right. And it's, you know, you can't, as it becomes more expensive to develop products, you have to just be more and more pragmatic around how to, how to deliver. I want to talk about this value equation a little bit more with you, right? Yeah. I have a perspective, which some would argue is is not the one that they would use, but I'm curious about what your perspective is. I put the emphasis on product managers emphasizing the value to the customer, right? I, I want product managers to understand that problem well to, and be delivering value to the customer and not thinking so much about value to the organization, frankly. I think if we do the right job to deliver value to the customer, that will, in some sense, take care of itself. But that, in my mind, and my experience, that, that shifts towards the CPO role to say, well, the CPO role really does care about both sides of this value equation and has to be making those decisions to move in certain directions that will deliver value to the organization as well. I'm just curious on your thoughts on that, that perspective. Yeah, so, I mean, if I, if I hear it correctly, it's really about, like, A, solving customer problems is the most important thing. And then the monetization, the ability to, to grow, uh, follows that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you're, I think you're right. So on, on an individual level, like individual contributors, you know, individual PMs, they need to be laser focused on how do I deliver customer value? And then, you know, I, I think as people grow in their careers, they have to be increasingly concerned around, you know, how does the organization grow? How do we monetize this? How do we deliver value to shareholders? Like those things all matter too. And I, I know like in this conversation, it sounds really very pragmatic around like revenue and all those things. But this is, this is how organizations grow is we have to find ways to generate revenue. And I think that having strong alignment with revenue side of the revenue side of the organization, as well as having, you know, strong alignment with developers and finance teams and marketing teams. All those things are really, really critical for somebody in a senior product role. And so you have to take a much, a much more holistic effect or view of the business. In fact, at one of our core values at Fuel Cycle, uh, we call it team before self. And it really means, you know, for, for senior leaders, for our VPs and C-suite executives and everything is that you have to say, what's the value to the business and not just what's the value to my own department or to my own team. It's a very team first approach. That I think it has helped us be successful over the over the years. It's kind of looking at the organization as a system. How do we create value for the business for the organization? Yeah, and that moves everyone forward. Exactly. Okay, so we're we're starting moving into this management skills area a little bit, and I just want to ask you more about that, right? So, with your CPO hat on, what kind of management skills have you found that have been helpful in your work? You know, it's a, it's a great question. And I don't know that any, any direct report that's ever worked for me would claim that I'm the best manager in the world. Hopefully at least a few of them would. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, there's, a, there's an example that I'd love to use. And hopefully this is, there's an, enough nerds in this audience that they're going to relate to this. So one of my favorite books is the Ender's Game. I don't know if you've ever read Ender's Game by Orson Scott Carter. I've been told I need to read it. I've only seen the movie. Okay. Well, you know what? You're going to get close enough, but essentially like the, the whole way that Ender becomes successful is that he learns that de- allowing his teams to be autonomous and his individuals to be autonomous and to make decisions independently of a command and control approach is what ends up being successful in the long run, especially when there's like you're fighting against complex systems. And I think that uh, the way that I prefer to work is to be able to give people high autonomy and so that they can make decisions and make decisions independently of me, but that are in alignment with the organization's goals and mission. 
And I think that if you're able to articulate like a clear strategy and approach that you want to deliver, and then you're able to roll that down to your team members and make sure that there's like clear alignment on what objectives are, then they're going to make, you know, good decisions that lead to positive outcomes without becoming, without a manager becoming a bottleneck to the organization. Did you find yourself having to, when you do this, when you create that autonomy, you set the objectives, sometimes people come up with a solution, might even be a better solution in the end, but it's not the one that you were thinking about, right? It's not not the direction you would have gone down. And some people, better or worse, end up micromanaging that situation, right? And we're kind of you know, defeating the whole purpose of having a t- a- autonomous teams. Did you struggle with that any as you kind of grew into the management roles or, or how did you face that? Yeah, I constantly struggled with it. So it made me still struggle with it sometimes, right? And there, there is a, there is a time for micromanaging when, you know, there's high stakes and those types of things. It's important to be in the details. What I will say is that, uh, you know, for, for me developing as a manager is you learn to identify where bottlenecks exist. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, managers who are really, really great on their own, they end up becoming bottlenecks because they feel like they have to be in control of every single decision. And identifying like areas where you need to be the one that's making the decision versus, you know, the person that can grant autonomy, I think is, is, is important. And that does change from organization to organization is the level of autonomy that you can deliver to a team. You know, you have to, you have to know the organization and your ability to, to grant that autonomy. And there's experience that comes with the role, right? There's things that you have tried that you know isn't a worthwhile path to go down at this point in time. And you can shortcut some of the decision making for teams. But I, li- I like that point about understanding the decisions that you do need to make and, and those that the team can be empowered to make as well. And for myself, you know, I've been at uh, Fuel Cycle for about eight and a half years now. And something that I try and try and share with people is that, uh, you know, over those eight, eight years during my career, kind of spanning product, spanning customer success, all those things is that probably no person has delivered more bad news or more screw ups to the organization than me personally. And so it's okay that we're going to do that. Then the main thing is to own the outcome and then to make decisions that improve, improve the business in the long run and to, you know, really like learn lessons quickly. The reality is no leader gets right all the time, right? Yeah. And if you're, you know, 50% right, you're doing really well, you know? Yeah. So, and like you said in the beginning, product is a, a great role. And as far as I'm concerned, as you said, it's the best role in the organization. It's not that the other ones aren't important, right? We need them all. But we're talking because we have that perspective that, you know, product is a highly leveraged role and it's really important to the future of organizations. I, I think I think you said it best. It's, it's a highly leveraged role, yeah. right? That's, and that's that's a lot of fun and a lot of responsibility exactly. at the same time. It, yeah. Both are true. So in that role, what have you found to be most challenging about, about being a CPO? Ooh, that's a great question. I think a lot of it is identifying ways to not be a bottleneck. And that means like you have to recruit the right resources. You have to attract the right talent. You have to stop and unbottleneck the, the organization. And you know, part of it is just growth in general is as an organization grows, you know, there's more complexity that comes into it. And so having strong alignment with other stakeholders and other executives becomes more and more important as growth, you know, becomes, you know, the decisions you make have more impact to a larger number of people. And that's a lot to, a lot to manage and a lot to learn is, you know, really, you, you know, you can't, uh, you can't be alone. You can't do things on your own. And a lot of it is creating alignment and understanding and just putting simple messages on repeat in order to, in order to make, make the organization successful. 
That, that last point is really important. The, the alignment with other stakeholders is key, right? And we need to build those relationships before we may need to rely on them, make sure we're aligned. But putting simple messages on repeat, and by that, I mean, I, I take away, you know, the things that are most important, we need to say over and over and over because people aren't listening the first many times, right? And if this is an important point, we need to make sure it's, it's constantly part of what we share with people. Uh, absolutely. Okay. And what do you like most about the role? Oh, I mean, I, I think, like you said, it's a highly leveraged uh, position. And so, you know, it, it's it's fun to have a big impact. And the thing that's always attracted me to my organization and where I'm, I'm fortunate to work today is that, um, you know, number one is that you get to have a huge impact because there's a lot of companies and people and everything that, you know, you influence. And uh, the other thing about it is that I just still learn constantly. Even as a CPO, you see all sorts of new information. You see new opportunities. You get to have, you know, fun pitches from, from vendors and partners and think through all those things. And, and so it's a constant learning. And because I'm constantly learning, it's very engaging and it gets to be, um, I think it's more fun than ever sitting still. You know, it, every few months I look back, I'm like, well, I've come a long way in the past six months and that's an amazing spot to be in. Yep. Any suggestions for that constant learning piece of it? Are there forums you're part of, you enjoy, books? How do you go about that? Yeah, I mean, so I have, I have about a dozen unfinished books at any, right. any, given, any given point. But I think, you know, really, like, there's, there's a natural curiosity that I see lots of successful product people have. Mm. And so that innate curiosity kind of drives, you know, willingness to learn and to explore different ideas. And so, I mean, I'm a, I'm a regular reader of things like Stratechery, which I've been reading for, I think, since it first monetized back in like 2013, 2014 or so. Tell us about that. What information do you get from it? Yeah. I mean, that's really just the strategy of technology and looking at that in a really scaled way and figure out how platforms work and like the business strategy behind it. And that's a, that's a lot of fun. I mean, if you, if you haven't, if you haven't read Stratechery, then I certainly encourage people to do that because that's the combination of you know, strategy and technology that, you know, is, is super valuable. Um, I also just, you know, read a lot, lots of audiobooks and listen to a lot of things outside of, outside of product management or technology just to keep learning. You know, many of it's just many, much of it's just general business strategy. And then we go back and figure out how to map that to technology in general. Yep. Yeah. Mowing time tends to be really good audiobook time for me. That, uh, <laughs> that's, that's true. And I live in LA. So commuting time tends to be really, really good. The uh, audiobook time too. Yeah, absolutely. So, and also listening to podcasts, a quick little plug. Very good. Well, I appreciate the information about the role and the skills that you have used to get there and what you see important as well. You know, some technology blend so that we are able to speak to the, the technical audiences that we have in the organization, our developers and engineers and like. Certainly those management skills to help us build the teams and enable them to, to get the work done and not get in the way and also remove some barriers uh, out of their way that we might recognize. And then that this is a challenging role and also a great role to, to be in. People listening, I think, already appreciate that. The product people are big lovers in organizations, right? If we have a development team of eight people and it's the product person who is helping to guide what work needs to be delivered by that product team to satisfy the customer's problem, you know, th that's, that is really good leverage. So it's fun to be in that role and have that kind of influence. As listeners know, and as you know, we like innovation quotes. What's the quote that you brought for us and what does it mean to you? Yeah, so I'm a big Peter Drucker fan. And Peter Drucker, my, my favorite innovation quote is, strategy is a commodity, execution is an art. 
And really to me, that that means, you know, talk is cheap and putting things out there is really what matters. And so innovation matters once it gets put into the market and monetize. Yeah. Otherwise it's just a, otherwise it's just an idea. Yeah. I, you know, and, and and I'd rather be an executor than a philosopher. I, I like that. Drucker also had the what was it, a culture eat strategy for breakfast, you know, the importance of culture. Yeah. But that execution part what he's getting to is that strategy can be copied pretty easily. And yet organizations implement it very differently, right? Based on that organization and execution is where it comes down to delivering value for customers. So, yeah, exactly. Thank you for sharing that. How can people find out more about you and more about FuelCycle and what FuelCycle does? Yeah, great question. So FuelCycle's website's at fuelcycle.com. I am on Twitter at underscore Rick Kelly. That's just K-E-L-L-Y. And, you know, happy to collaborate and talk to people. I made a lot of good friends on Twitter over the years. Fantastic. Okay. We'll put those links in the show notes so they're easy to find as well. I appreciate the time uh, hearing more about the CPO role, your journey towards that, and some of the things that stand out that have made it possible for you to move into it and, uh, and execute it well now. Well, I appreciate the time, Chad. Great podcast and keep look forward to listening to future episodes too. Appreciate that. And everyone listening, that one-page action guide and all the show notes that we take for you, you'll find those at productmasterynow.com slash 404. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.